All right, kids, if you would come on up and join me. I'm already up You're already up there? You are so smart, Shane. You already are up there because you knew that that's what I was going to ask. For everyone to come up. And then there you were. When I opened my eyes, you were just there. <laughs> Many years ago, I was living in a country called England. Have you ever heard of England? Yeah. Well, when I was in England, I had a chance to go to the, the capital city, which is called London. And I actually saw Prince Charles, who is now King Charles. And I saw his wife, Princess Diana, but she has died. And so he now has a different wife. And I saw lots of cool things when I was in London. When I was in London, I saw the jewels that they wear, what the king wears and the queen wears. I saw all of the the uh, the castles that they have there. I saw these cool museums. I saw one museum. It was called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Have you ever heard of this, of Ripley's, Ripley's Believe It or Not? They have museum. They have books. They have TV shows. They have comic strips. And do you know what Ripley's Believe It or Not is all about? They have stories or even the thing that is hard to believe. Like, for example, there was a man whose name was James. His last name was Cook and he had chickens. And James Cook had a chicken that would lay completely square eggs. That's hard to believe. But they said it was true. And Ripley's doesn't put things in their museum or in their book if it's not true. So that's hard to believe, but supposedly it's, I don't know how. I, I saw a picture of it, but I don't know how it could possibly happen. I don't know. I, yes. I, I think you would crack it the same way that you regularly, like, like a regular egg. Yes. It's hard to picture, isn't it? <laughs> Seems impossible because it would destroy the chicken. That's a very good thought. I don't know. I just have to trust because they said that they've seen it and that they believe. Let me tell you another one. There was a girl. She was 15 years old and she had a special talent for to, do, to have hula hoops. Do you know what a hula hoop is? Have you ever seen one? It's like a big plastic ring. And what do you do with it? What do you can you want us up? Come up and show us because I can't do it. What do you do? You do like that. And when you're doing that, what are you doing with the hoop? What's happening with the hoop? So it doesn't drop to the floor, right? You just keep it going. Sometimes it does, but the, the goal of the hula hoop is just keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it. Have you ever done more than one hula hoop? I tried two. You tried two? How many have you tried? Two. How many? Two. Three. Two. This girl... Her name was Katie. She was 15 years old. She has the record of being able to do 68 hula hoops all at the same time. None of them dropping to the floor. Can you believe that? That's crazy. 
I don't even, I can't even keep one hula hoop up. She got 60. Now, she, I'm sure she had some on her neck and some on her hands and arms like this and some on her belly and, but 68 hula hoops. And I have one more story that's even harder to believe than a square chicken egg or a hula hoop girl that can do 68 hula hoops. There is a, uh, a baker, not a bakery, a butcher shop that has the record for the longest hot dog. What dog? Is it 62? No, it's not 62 feet. It's more what than that. More than a hundred feet. More than a thousand feet. No, not a hundred thousand. Three thousand feet. Do you know how long 3,000 feet is? That's more than half a mile. It took 150 uh, bakers to carry it. No, I'm sorry. It was 150 pounds. It had 60 some bakers, not bakers, but butchers who had to carry it to, the, to be wet, to be measured. 3,000 foot long hot dog. Normally they're just about this big. What did you want to say, Adrian? It's as big as the top. It's bigger than the church. The church is like what? 50, 60 feet this way. So there's like 1,200. I don't know. Yes. Uh, I don't understand how. I, the butcher shop, how would they get it out? Because <laughs> the room isn't that long, right? Well, I think they were trying to get the world record. And so they had the casing already prepared and they had all the meat prepared and then they just started making it and people were walking back and walking back and walking back and walking back to seeing how long they could get it. And they got it a full 3,000 feet long. That's crazy. Yes, Shay. How would they cook it? I don't know. It's, I don't know. I just, I don't know, but that's what they, that's what Ripley said. Yes, Lillian, what do you think? I don't know how they put it into an oven. Or to a pan. Well, I want to read you guys a story about somebody who heard about something but didn't believe it. Just like you guys are going, how could they have a 3,000 foot or how could you have a chicken that square, lays a square egg? That would rip this chicken apart. Well, this is a Bible story about a guy whose name was Thomas. Thomas the Nope. Thomas, Thomas the Doubter. So, this is in the, this is in the book of, listen, listen, this is in the book of John, chapter 20, and it says, the evening, of the more the evening after Jesus came back alive, the doors were shut and locked because the disciples, the friends of Jesus, were in the room and they were afraid. They were afraid of what the Jews might do to them. And Jesus came and stood in the middle of the room and he said, Peace to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And the Lord said to them, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. But Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, was not with them when Jesus came into that room. The other disciples said to him when he when they saw him, we've 
seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hand, the hands, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails in his hands, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I, and I put my hand into the part where the spear pierced him on his side, I'm not going to believe. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside that room. And Thomas was with them this time. And Jesus came and stood in the room, even though the doors were shut. And he said to them, peace to you. And then he turned to Thomas and he said, Thomas, take your finger and put it in the hole in my hand. Take your hand and put it in the scar in my side. I want you to believe. I want you to not be an unbeliever. I want you to believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus looked at him and he smiled and he said, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. But there are going to be those who have never seen me and yet believe and they are blessed. That's the story of Thomas in the Bible. It's hard to believe the story that Jesus could come back to life after being dead. Have you guys ever known somebody that died? Yeah. You have? Did they come back to life afterwards? No. They will be in heaven. But we can't see them here on this earth. And it's hard to believe when you can't see something. Yes, sir. Yes, Ellie. Okay. All right. Well, I want to pray with you guys. And I want to ask God to help you guys to to hear these stories and to believe them. Lord, I ask that you would help each one of these kids and all of the people in this room. These stories that we're reading out of this Bible, some of them are hard to believe. But you ask us to believe. And if we believe, the Bible says we will be blessed. So God, bless these kids. Help them to believe. Help them, Father, to understand the truth and to believe it and own it for themselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. You already do? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Pastor Bob cannot do this without a stool. These silly worship team people think they can hide my stool. All right. Craig, can you bring up the slides? I mean, don't bring them up yet, but are they, the sermon slides are there, yes? All right. When I was in high school, I was involved with choir and I was involved with drama. And there was a, probably about 40 or 50 of us that were part of those two organizations in school. And, you know, then we graduated and moved on and I went on with my life. And you, you, you lose touch with people except for just a few that, you know, that you're close with. But then the advent of Facebook happened. And all of a sudden I started connecting with all of my friends from high school that I hadn't talked to in 40 years. But now we don't talk to each other. We just read about each other. Um, I learned stuff about them. And this is going to be recorded and it's going to be on the, on the internet. So I'm, I'm going to be careful. I don't want to hurt or offend anybody. 
Um, when I first got to that school in 1975, it was an open air campus. There was the science building, the math building, the history, the, the, the chapel, I'm not chapel, the, 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 uh, the, the, the drama and the music. There was the gymnasium. And we had an open park area. We would, when we weren't in class, we could sit in the open park area. Or when you're walking to, to classes, you'd be walking through this open park area. Um, so there's always people milling around in there. And so one day I was walking across campus, going from one class to another. And a friend of mine, who was part of the drama group, who was a bold and dynamic uh, evangelical Christian, said to me, Bob, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I'm a Christian. I've gone to church my whole life. And she said, I didn't ask you if you've gone to church your whole life. I asked you if you're a Christian. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, I had been reared in a church didn't use those words. Not that the church that I went to wasn't a Christian church, but they didn't use those words. And so I struggled for about three weeks with that question. I mean, I didn't talk to people, but it was just an internal thing. Am I really a Christian? I mean, I've gone to church my whole life, but do I really believe what the Bible says? And how many of you guys have seen recently or heard of at least recently a movie called Jesus Revolution? It's just come out just recently. It's about... The, the story of Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, which then became a, a denomination worldwide. Well, I lived in Southern California and my friends who were Christians always went on Saturday night to the Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa's church where they had a Christian rock concert. Back then it was new Christian music. There wasn't, it wasn't big where you could get it on the radio. And they always invited their friends. And then at the end of the concert, Chuck Smith would come out and preach. So I started going to these concerts with my friends. And I enjoyed going. But this one week I went, it was October 25th, 1975. And Chuck Smith preached after the concert. And then they offered people to come forward and give their hearts to Christ. And I, obviously I didn't do that. That's awkward. That's weird. I didn't do that. But... Then we left and we were teenagers and we piled into the car. I mean, I was literally in the back seat. There were two other people next to me. Then there were two people sitting on top of our laps in the back seat. It's five in the back seat. And then there was another person in the front. Another. So we had a total of seven people in this car that held four. We were teenagers. No big deal. We're driving in Southern California from Costa Mesa back up to the Los Alamitos area. And so you had to go on the freeway to do that. And we're on the freeway, and I don't want to get all mumbo-jumbo, woo, spooky on you, but this is what literally happened to me. I'm seated in the back seat of the car with somebody sitting on my lap, and I felt something come onto the back of my head and my shoulders. And I felt that something then go into me. And I felt all this heat and warmth, and I went, I'm saved! I'm saved. I started crying, I'm saved! I'm saved! I know I finally am saved! And I no sooner said those words then that warmth and that energy turned violent ill, like I was going to puke. And I was shaking. And I screamed, I got to puke, I got to puke, I got to get out of the car. And so they pulled over. Now you get five people out of the backseat of a car trying not to vomit. 
And finally, I get out of the car. There's all seven of us out there on the side of the, the I think it was the 405 freeway heading north. I don't remember what the freeway number was. Um, but literally standing on the shoulder of the, of the freeway. And all of a sudden, this thing inside of me was saying, throw yourself in front of the passing cars. And I voiced that. And my friends gathered around me in a circle holding hands. And they prayed. All of them are brand new baby Christians. None of them know what to do with this. So finally, one of them says, we need to take him to... And they named this person, a, a woman who had graduated from high school a year before. And she was, in, she was uh, much more mature in her faith. She had the gift of wisdom. And when they got me back into the car, and I'm literally still <laughs> shaking and crying and just a mess. And we got to this person's house and it's 1130 at night. And this person comes out of their house into the driveway and we're all standing there. And she says, tell me what happened. So I did. And she looked at me and she said, Bob, the enemy has had access to your life for these 16 years. And the enemy knows that he's about to lose you. And he would rather you be dead than lose another one. And that's what's going on. Now, I'm still like this. And I, I'm sure it was just adrenaline. I don't know what it was, but I, I, I couldn't control the shaking. And she said to me, do you believe the Bible? Yes. And she quoted some verses. Yes. So you believe that? Yes. Well, then the only thing that's left is for you to repent of your sins and to confess. That's it. So I did. And she led me in prayer. And as I said those words, I felt a peace flood and that blah left and the shaking stopped. And it was just amazing. I can't describe it to you. It was amazing. And from that day until this, now it's been since 1975, so we're 48 years this year. I am a Christian. I believe with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. I have sacrificed my hopes and my dreams and my goals because I want to live for God. I moved to Alaska. That should give you some understanding and indication that I sacrificed to be with, to do what God wants me to do. Now, having said all that, I said I connected with friends from Facebook. The person who asked me that question, lo, those many years ago, doesn't want to have anything to do with God right now. Hates God. Hates Christianity. Hates the church. Now, I don't blame her. I know what has happened in her life. So I can fully understand where she's at. But it breaks my heart. When I reconnected with this person a number of years back, probably about seven or eight years ago, I said to this person in our private community email to, to this person, I want you to know that you were instrumental 
in bringing me to faith. I want you to know that my life has been so much better than it was ever going to be because you showed me the path to truth. And I want to thank you. And you know what she responded? Well, I'm glad it worked for you. Flat. And I'm still in contact with her. I just saw her a couple years back. We were at a restaurant together in Southern California. Kind, friendly, very nice person, but spiritually dead. And it makes me sick. Because the reality is, (laughs) you don't believe, you're dead. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to like it. It's just the way it is. And one of the things that that God showed me this week as I was trying to prepare was we in the evangelical world, okay, in, in, the, in, the, in the denomination in which I grew up, we were never told we had to share our faith with anybody. You were just brought up in the faith. But we in the evangelical world say it's our responsibility as Christians to bring the word to somebody else. And I understand that. I agree with it. That's why I'm here. Why? Because if Mary Magdalene, the very first human being who knew Jesus resurrected from the dead, refused to do what she was told, what was she told? All four Gospels, all four Gospels. An angel of the Lord said to her, he is not here. He has risen just as he said, you take this news and go tell his friends. If she had refused and kept the secret to herself, would there be a church today? I would submit, yes, God's bigger than one person being disobedient. But the plan of God is for the human beings who know the truth to tell the other human beings who don't know the truth so they can come to faith. And it is God's desire that all should come to faith and that no one should die. Why? Because eternal death is eternal separation from God. And that's not what God desires. God created human beings because he wants to have relationship with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. God desperately loves every single human being that has ever been created. God wants relationship with every single being who has ever been created. And it is a simple, simple, simple thing. All you have to do is believe. You don't believe, no relationship. You don't believe, you end up separated from God for all of eternity. You do believe, you have relationship. You do believe, you have peace. You do believe, you have eternal life with God forever. Now, I would sub- would guess, I was going to say I would submit, but I think actually it's a guess. I will suppose that everyone in this room is here because they're a believer. Maybe not. Maybe somebody twisted your arm and made you come today. But for the most part, we're all believers. The question that I would have for you, and this is not Pastor Bob trying to make you feel badly. The question I would have for you is, When was the last time you shared the truth with someone who didn't believe? If the plan of God is for the Christians to tell the non-Christians the truth, then we should be doing that, yeah? 
And my job as a pastor, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, is I am to equip the saints for the work that they are called to do. So guess what we're going to do today? I'm going to give you some instructions. Now, get a piece of paper out, get a pencil out, take your phone out and take pictures, do whatever you got to do. But I'm going to give you a real easy to follow list on how to speak truth to somebody. Now, it does not have to be memorized. Okay? What I do in every single paper copy and electronic copy of the Bible that I own, I literally mark these verses and I mark the next verse to go to. And it go, it's a, just a simple progression. And all you're doing is reading the words. You're not having to explain anything. You just read the words. You let them read them with you. It's the Holy Spirit of God that does the convicting. It's the Holy Spirit of God that does the convincing. My job is to just share the truth. And here it is already written down in the Bible. So let's get started. Craig, would you bring up the first slide, please? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. I call this in my, in my Bible, I mark it down as the pathway to life. Because we as Christians believe that if we are in right relationship with God, we will have eternal life. So these verses lead me to life. It shows a non-Christian, a non-believer, how they can be led, how they can come to have life. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Can anyone say that? That they have made their own heart pure? That they have cleansed themselves from sin? I would submit the answer is no one. I know of no human being that has that ability save Jesus Christ. Bring up the next slide. Now, someone might say, well, but I've never sinned. Mm, but the Bible would disagree with you. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all humans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single human being. You may have only sinned once, but one sin is enough to break relationship with God. You have one sin on your, on your account, and you have, to you have to stand before God with onus. This is a sin that he will hold you to account. And Proverbs just said, no one can cleanse themselves of their own sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Next slide, Craig. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So no one can cleanse themselves from sin. All have sinned. And when you sin, you earn death. If you want eternal life, you have to get it from someone else. You can't make it for yourself. And that gift comes from God. It is free to you. Costs you nothing. But it gives you eternal life. The next slide, Craig. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Did you hear that? God loved every human being so much that God made the sacrifice of his only son 
that whoever believes in his son would not die, but would have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, stop for a second. This is something where I'm going to get off of my little path here of life and just go on a little rabbit trail. The second sentence in that is chapter 3, verse 17. It's real easy. It's real easy for you to quote 316 because it's at every football game. It's on everybody's jersey. It's on everybody's thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world in order that the world might be saved through him. Wait a minute, pastor. You just said that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means that we earn death. So why isn't Jesus condemning me to hell? Because Jesus didn't come to condemn people to hell. Jesus came to love people. Jesus came to sacrifice himself for people. And the challenge we have is as Christians... We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And what is it? We pray the unity will one day be restored. For they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Is that the way it really is in our society today? They will know we hate gay people. They will know we hate abortion. They will know everybody's sinning and we're going to send them to hell with a little placard standing on the corner of airport way. I struggle with the reality of identifying as a follower of Christ at times. Because the word of God says, God loved the world so much, he gave his only son. He didn't send him to condemn us. He sent him to, so that we could have life. Now let me get off the rabbit trail and come back to the pathway. Next slide. John chapter 3. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever doesn't obey the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God remains in him. Oh, we're talking about bad stuff now. The wrath of God remains on the person. So what does it mean? You broke the law of God. You sinned. You violated relationship with God. What happens when you, when you were a kid and you got in trouble at your house for breaking one of the rules of the house? Didn't your mom get a little bit upset with you? Didn't your mom get a little frustrated and sometimes apply corporal punishment? That's the wrath of God. God is like, I have expressed nothing but love to you and you treat me like this. That's not God going, I'm going to condemn you to hell. That is God saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And you just spit in my face. Why do you do that? That makes me so angry. That's the wrath of God. And so it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever doesn't believe shall not see life. But that broken relationship, that frustration of God, that anger of God remains between God and them. 
Next slide. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For you have been, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. Whose grace? God's grace. Whose faith? Your faith. So when you believe, God extends grace and saves your soul. And this is not your doing. There's nothing you can do. Remember Proverbs? Who can make themselves clean? Who can wash away their own sin? Nobody. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of anything you do. No works so that you can't say, I'm such a good human being. Look at me. Nothing you can do can wash away your sins other than believe that God has made a way for you. Next one. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This is one that I have memorized and use over and over and over and over and over again. And I would encourage you to memorize this one if none of, if you don't memorize any of the other ones, memorize this one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the, with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now let me share with you why I like this passage so much and why I use it so much when I'm trying to help somebody understand what it means to come to faith. How many of you have ever been taught the ABCs of salvation? Accept Christ. Believe and confess. How many of you have ever tried to lead somebody in the sinner's prayer? What is that, Pastor? How, how, what if I get it wrong? What if I don't say the right thing? What if I say the wrong words? Are they going to get really saved? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to say a special prayer, any particular words exactly in the right order. You don't have to follow a formula. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let them say it however they want to say it. God, I don't understand. I, I, I know that all the things that I've done, they make me sad. They make you sad. I understand that, God. But I just want to let you know, I believe in you. I believe that you raised your son from the dead. I confess that I want Jesus to be the number one in my life. I want him to be Lord. God, please help me, please. He's saved, people. God sees the heart. He knows what their heart is. They don't have to go through a ritual. They just need to do the right thing. Say, I mean, believe the right thing and say it out loud. Next slide. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not only am I saved, but I'm actually a child of God. Does that mean I could literally crawl up into God's lap and say, Daddy, uh-huh. And I'll go further. It's not here, but I'll go further. It says that we are also co-heirs with Christ. Wow. All who believed 
excuse me, all who received him, who believed in his name, received the right to become children of God. Next slide. This one is the tough one. This one is the tough one. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him on the last day. No one can come to Jesus unless the father who sent Jesus draws that unbeliever. And I will raise that person up on the last day. You cannot in your own human power convict anyone of their sin. You may have a great apologetic. You may be able to to argue forcefully all of the tenets of the faith of Christianity. And you may know backwards, forwards, inside and out, everything the Bible has to say about what God wants and what God doesn't want. And how you can quote the Ten Commandments and you can quote the fruits of the Spirit and you can quote the gifts of the Spirit. But there is not a single thing you can do to force somebody to come to Christ. It is when the Holy Spirit of God draws them. So what is this verse doing in this little thingy? This is a reminder to you, saint, that it's not your job to force the issue. If they're not ready, they're not ready. If you force it, it's fake. If all they're doing is conforming to you because you've pressured them, it means nothing. It has to be them coming to a true understanding of the truth and the belief and submitting and confessing and repenting, all of that. So what does that mean? You just need to read the words. You don't have to do any convincing. Now, if they ask a question, of course you tell them what you believe. If they ask them the question and you can show them another scripture, they should of course do that. But it is not your job to save them. And the other, the, the, uh, the converse or the obverse of this is they have to understand that the argument, well, I believe it's true, but I'll just wait till I'm older because I want to live my life. Mm, you can't, don't have a guarantee that the Holy Spirit will call, will call you again later on. Why? Turn to the next slide, Craig. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse two says, behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. When the Holy Spirit is talking to you, now is the time to respond. If you choose to respond, you will be saved. If you choose not to respond, you have no guarantee that God will ever draw you again. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. There's nothing in the Bible that says God has to continually offer you the offer of salvation. Nothing. Look at my friend. Rejected the truth. Probably 40 years worth of rejection. has closed their heart, refuses to believe the truth, although they owned it for themselves at one point, they can no longer hear the Holy Spirit whispering to them because they have shut themselves off from the truth. Now, God can do anything. God can still save their soul, can bring them back to faith. But they have no promise that they will ever be given another opportunity. If they reject the truth when it's being presented. 
Now, again, this is not a scare tactic. This is not for you to even say those words to them. I'm just telling you so you'll understand. Now, we've just gone through it all. I'm going to quickly go through all of them again. Craig, go back to the first slide. We're just going to quickly run through them just so they're in your head. And also, I want to make sure I say it for the recording. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Next slide. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Next slide. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Next slide. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Next slide. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Next slide. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Next slide. Romans 10.9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Next slide. John verses, chapter 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Next slide. John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Next slide. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. End. How long did it take me to say this? You'll spend more time turning to the pages than it takes to actually say it. It's not hard to share the truth. It shouldn't be scary to share the truth. If you truly believe that this is the truth, that someone who doesn't believe and is not in right relationship with God is going to end up separated from God for eternity, it should not be scary for you to say those words. Because it's not your job to convince them. It's your job to share it. Go back to Mary Magdalene. If she had refused out of fear, embarrassment, what are they going to think? She would have missed out on the blessing. I told you, I don't think God would have been thwarted in getting the message across to the rest of the world. She would have missed out on the blessing of being part of what God was doing in and amongst her friends. And so that's the encouragement I have for you this morning as we celebrate Easter. We all believe, we've been declaring it all morning, he is risen, he is risen indeed. We believe that Jesus is no longer dead, that the tomb is empty, that he ascended into the heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to bring uh, the rest of us home to be with the Father at some point. And in the interim, it is our responsibility before God and the world to speak this truth. And I've just given you a very simple and easy way of doing it. You could print it out on one page, Keep it folded up in your wallet or your purse. And anytime God opens the opportunity for you to speak truth, just pull it out and read it with them. And then fold it back up and put it in your purse and walk away if nothing else. Or lead them in a prayer. And it doesn't have to be a special prayer, just a prayer from the heart. So, hallelujah. Bring up the devotional slide, Craig. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What wonderful, wonderful truth, and what a wonderful promise. Let's pray. Father God, help us, help us to not be afraid. Lord, you've promised us that the Holy Spirit will be with us and guide us into all truth. You've promised us that the Holy Spirit will empower us to do the work that you've called us to do. You've given us gifts and skills and graces. You've given us the ability to have friends in our lives. Help us, God, to not be zealous and go out there and beat people up with the truth, but to just be ready when the question is asked. Help us, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One last one. Write this one down. First Peter 3.15. This is not for you to show to your friends. I'll just do it here. First Peter 3.15. This is for you. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, For a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let me repeat that one more time. 1 Peter 3.15. Oh, I forgot the first part of it. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. Amen. David, come on up.